And therefore, as a free man, I take pride in the words, Ich bin ein Science! Science! Yes. I know the human being and science, science. can peacefully. This was their finest. Hey guys, this is Petri Dish. I'm Nathan, and I'm here with, of course, Sean, and then with guest star Andre Day. Hi, everybody. Hey, Andre. Reason being that today's episode, we're going to start a two-parter on CRISPR's Case 9 and gene editing. Andre loves to edit genes. He's just shooting himself up with biohacker <laughs> stuff all the time. He's so swole now. He's so strong. And he wanted to get a PhD expert, big brain fucker dude's opinion on it. Oh, so is that got, me? Yeah, that's you, dude. Ooh, I like it. So let's talk about CRISPR's Case 9. Let's talk about gene editing. Sean, what is it? Yeah, so, you know, I think that the whole gene editing thing goes back to a fundamental human desire going back 4,000 years. 4,000 years ago, okay, you had some Egyptian pervert going around taking a bird's head and hot gluing it onto some dude's body and calling it a god. And since then, I think, realistically, we want this control over life and creation. Once we figured out that we had these genes out there and that we could manipulate them and saw the kind of profound effects that they had on life... Ever since then, for the past 40 years or so, we've just been getting better and better, developing better and better tools to be able to do genetic engineering, and CRISPR-Cas9 is just the latest and greatest tool for that. Is that what you want? You want to have a bird's head? I think it could be cool, or like make a Pikachu or something. <laughs> that's like that's one of my main life goals. <laughs> oh, you already have me sold, dude. I could have <laughs> yeah, my own I'm Pikachu. Like... Yeah. I don't know if you need a gene-edited Pikachu. I mean, I'm basically a Squirtle. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to think about, that. Think about that. <laughs> that. That bums me out in a really profound way. <laughs> um, so, you know. Uh, so, what is it? What is CRISPR's case nine, though? Right. So, let's get into it. What is CRISPR? Basically, CRISPR-Cas9 is a pair of scissors that's hot glued onto a mailing address. And what that means is that there is a piece of RNA, and the RNA is able to act like a mailing address. It finds a certain place in all of the DNA that you have in your cell. And then it brings along with it the Cas9 protein, which acts like scissors and basically cuts through the DNA. It's a set of these two components put together. All living organisms have DNA, and so you can use this tool on pretty much anything that has DNA to be able to cut somewhere in the DNA. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of like you have a warhead and then a guidance system. Right, yeah, and, and the guidance system is made out of RNA, and that kind of distinguishes it from some of the things that came before. So this is not the first gene editing tool that we've had. So, cool, so we haven't been able to gene edit at all, and all of a sudden we can gene edit. Not. we've had these other tools before. You set me up to look like a fool every time. <laughs> so we've had these other tools. We had zinc finger nucleases, we had transcription activator-like effector nucleases, and what these are, what these tools were, were protein tools, where... The proteins that they were made up of were both the mailing address and the scissors. 
Okay, so the whole thing was protein, right? And that uh, sounds super convenient, right? Because we're making protein, we're making chicken, we're making whey powder all the time, right? So we got proteins lay, just laying around. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, you don't know, you don't drink whey, dude? You don't get swole like me, dude? Dude, me and Andre, we just drink, we just like drink whey out of the same cup, dude. <laughs> You're going to keep saying whey like that? <laughs> oh my God. Don't be judging my whey powder, dude. Holy shit. Me and Andre are going to beat you up, dude. Oh. So, so the thing is, our ability in labs to mess around with and to make a lot of protein is actually less developed than our ability to make nucleic acids like DNA and RNA. Proteins are just so much more complicated. Proteins are more complicated and almost all the time that we make proteins, we make the DNA first and then let some kind of cell make the protein for us. Sounds way so, more expensive. Yeah, it's, it's more expensive, it's more time consuming, and you really need to be a lab that specializes in genetic engineering to even know all of the design rules. What do you, what do you mean by a cell? Like you give DNA to a prisoner and they just like poop it out. <laughs> See, everyone <laughs> knows. Powder, everyone knows you're not this fucking stupid. <laughs> Everybody knows that already. <laughs> so swole. <laughs> so you know, uh, we we used to have to give DNA to a cell and then let that cell construct the zinc finger nuclease or the talon to be able to cut the DNA somewhere. And because that's kind of a roundabout process and because the design is much more complicated, not that many labs used it. Some labs definitely did. And in fact, we'll talk a little bit later about human applications. Some humans were treated with genetic engineering using those tools, okay? But all of that said, one of the kind of revolutionary things about CRISPR-Cas9 is that the guidance part is made out of RNA. And RNA is much easier for us to manipulate and to build. And so it's at a point where you can send to a number of companies just the letters of the sequence you want for the RNA. Mm. And for a few bucks, they'll basically make it and mail it to you. And you can start doing CRISPR-Cas9 pretty much right away. Sure. It's like I used to spend like four hours making a really good bolognese. And then I realized I could just order pizza for, you know, and just get some pizza. It's like, I just like saved myself four hours. <laughs> Yeah. I, 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 so unfortunately i think that works i think that works so what you're saying though is like you could literally just send like a text file with just like the a's the c's the t's the g's in the order you want them and then they'll send you presumably in some liquid medium a bunch of like rna strands with exactly what you asked for yeah so usually it's it's actually dried into a powder oh um, because it's more shelf stable that way. I told you it was way. <laughs> God damn it, you son of a bitch. Um, but that is essentially what happens. And in fact, it's at the point where there are now web tools where you can say, "Oh, I want to try to hit this gene in this organism. Please design the CRISPR sequences for me, and then please just make them and send them to me." And the whole process is just in a web tool at this point. So uh -huh. it, it's really easy to be able to do this now. So who do I invest in? Okay, because I'm a very entrepreneurial type. <laughs> who do I give this money to so I can get in on the game, dude? I actually, I know a legal podcast uh, group, and I'd like to ask them what the current status on the CRISPR patent is. Because last time I checked, Berkeley and MIT were like fighting over who got the patent first. And there's been kind of this back and forth over it. So I don't think the patent is settled on CRISPR. So wait, when it gets settled, like you're going to have to mail Berkeley a check every time you want to do CRISPR? Yeah, it's a good question on how they're going to deal with that patent. It might be that 
if you try to commercialize a product that involves CRISPR. So like if you have a cure for a disease, you might need to license the patent from Berkeley to be able to use that patent for your curing of you know, the cystic fibrosis. Well, that means or, nothing's oh, going to happen. you want to cure cystic fibrosis? Not without giving us our cut. Exactly, yeah. There, there's going to be money involved. <laughs> Government of California, bunch of liberals <laughs> trying to take away my crispers. That's my Second Amendment right, dude. That was actually, you know, it, uh, it's interesting that you brought this up. It's not in the notes, but zinc finger nucleases were patented and talons were not. So actually, zinc fingers were not used quite as much because you had to deal with sort of the patent law around it. And then talons were kind of more open source. But still complicated. Doesn't Jimmy Zinkfingers sound like a villain? Like, you why know, the like, shit is this who you are? <laughs> you like, could like, you fucking try harder, please? Like, like, at, lo- like, <laughs> like at Los Alamos. How long like, these notes fucking took me? There's like a Do guy. You know how many papers I read? <laughs> it's like Oppenheimer's like, watch out for Jimmy Zinkfingers. I can't believe it. Uh, an experiment went wrong, and I've got the fastest fingers in the state. All the, uh, that kind of sounds like Jimmy Neutron. Yeah, but like evil. You yeah, know, like, like mirror Jimmy Neutron. <laughs> Anyway, goddamn. Jimmy Zinkfingers. Nope. Yep. Well, we're ruined now. But in any case. <laughs> so yeah, where's where's this shit from though? Right. Japan. Damn. The I'm... Japanese found it. Mm, MSG and Jimmy Zinkfingers. <laughs> the, the Japanese scientists discovered it in 1987, the year I was born. Woo, yeah. woo. Damn, dude, you must be like 42. <laughs> uh well. I Keep don't... going. Don't let me slow <laughs> you down. <laughs> um so where'd they find it? Like under a rock? Right, yeah. So they found it in E. coli. E. coli, really, really common bacteria. It's one that we do a lot of gene editing in, a lot of gene work in. And uh, what they were doing was they were looking at the genome of E. coli. They were looking at all the DNA, and they found a bunch of repeat sequences. And they weren't really sure what it was for, but they called those repeat sequences clustered, regularly interspaced, short palindromic repeats. Mm palindrome like race car <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly like that it's because the sequence of letters right would start and end with the same letter and uh, they would be a palindrome so mm. they'd go in kind of the same order don't hang a salami numbers. i'm a lasagna hog <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> it's a palindrome we got the <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> What they found out eventually was that this CRISPR system is actually an uh, antivirus system within bacteria. And you can actually find them not just in E. coli, but in a bunch of different bacteria and archaea. And it's kind of this uh, rudimentary but really widespread defense system. Why don't we have it? Right. We have much more complicated defense systems to basically do something kind of similar to CRISPR-Cas9. The way that they're... They're like the USS Enterprise and we're like the USS Defiant. We're like a warship designed in Deep Space Nine specifically for warfare. All right. So we have a lot of advanced systems, but sometimes the Enterprise is actually better equipped for a diversity of problems. This one's for the Trekkies. (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah, so, yeah, I I guess I'd broadly agree with that. The way that CRISPR works in bacteria is um, bacteria are constantly fighting with bacteriophages. They're kind of virus that infects bacteria, and they're just always uh, battling with each other. And occasionally a bacteriophage will inject a bacteria with its DNA and the bacteria won't die, which is kind of rare. Usually bacteria die, but occasionally they won't die. And to guard against that phage in the future, they'll chop up the phage DNA and shove it in their own genome to kind of keep it for later to recognize that phage. So when it's being attacked by that bacteriophage a second time, it just it just copies some RNA from its DNA, gives that 
to a Cas9 protein and then sends that Cas9 to attack the bacteriophage? Right, exactly. So basically, it uses the chopped up pieces from last time as the guidance system for the second time they get infected. And basically, a scientist figured this out, and a group of scientists kind of recognized that this could potentially be used in all kinds of cells as a way to do gene editing. Man, bacteria is so intelligently designed, you know? Like, it's just like, you better not. Just something's going on, you know? Someday, we're going to talk about a topic where you can't bring this dog shit up, and, <laughs> and it's going to be so good. All right. Okay, we're going to take a break. But after the break, we're going to talk about, like, we're dancing around the key subject. What is Case 9 really? Or Cas9? What is it really doing on the molecular levels? Yep. My name is Jimmy Coconuts, and I'm here to talk to you about UBI, Universal Basic Income. UBI. The Andrew Yang campaign is offering you $1,000 a month. Think of what you could do with $1,000 a month. You could buy supplies for your family. You could start paying your mortgage. Yeah. You could even... Buy coconuts! Come on down to Jimmy's Coconut Emporium in the Orange County. You could get 25% off little coconuts, 50% off normal coconuts, 100% off huge coconuts. Yeah. At $1,000 a month, coconuts at 100% off, you could buy infinite coconuts! Yeah. So vote Andrew Yang 2020, take that money, come down and buy some coconuts. We're coconuts for 2020! Okay, guys, we're back. We're talking about CRISPR's Cas9, and we've already talked a little bit about how it's some scissors going around chip, chop, 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 chopping stuff with the mailing address. <laughs> okay, but let's dive a little bit deeper into it. What really is Cas9? Yeah, okay. So, as kind of previously alluded to while we were chatting, the CRISPR Cas9 whole setup has to do with a protein that is able to cut DNA, something called an endonuclease. Nuclease means that it can cut DNA, and endo means it can cut in the middle of a strand. And a guide RNA. So the RNA, because of the way that nucleic acids can kind of pair up with each other, the guide RNA can find a really specific part of the DNA based off of its sequence. So you need to plan the sequence of the RNA appropriately to be able to find the right part of the DNA. And so there's some kinds of small modifications to that idea that, like, if we're being super technical about it, then we should probably make. So basically, the way that this works is that... Help me understand it, Sean, <laughs> on the human-to-human -human level. Okay, what's the way you could say this that me, just a little bambino from South Jersey, how could I understand this? Okay, so let's say Andre wants a particular guy punched in the nuts. Okay? He goes to nauseas all the time, dude. He's a pervert. Maybe he's okay. just mad about something. He's he, always punching he nuts. He wants this particular dude punched in the nuts. And, hey, look, you're a guy who enjoys punching, let's say, blonde dudes in the nuts. That's actually true. <laughs> and you, you mentioned this to Andre. You're like, hey, look, I, I only like doing it to blonde dudes. And Andre's like, hey, that works out perfectly. This particular dude is blonde. Okay, and so then the pair of you go around town, just walking around, and every time a blonde dude comes up, you turn to Andre and you're like, hey, is this the guy I need to punch? And most of the time it's going to be no. And then you guys just kind of walk on through town until finally you find the dude, 
And you're like, hey, Andre, is this the guy? And he's like, yes, dude. Yeah, that's him, dude. Get him. Please begin. And then you start the punch fest. You know, we're actually pretty infamous for it now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but... people clear the streets when we're on the strand. <laughs> so in this situation, you, the puncher, you're the cast nine. And Andre is the guide RNA. But cast nine has its preferences for punching blonde dudes in the nuts, right? So Cas9 has its own preference, and what that means is it'll go around your DNA, finding the spots that are its preference, okay? And then it'll check with the guide RNA. It'll say, is this spot the correct spot? And the guide RNA will see if it's binding, and then if it's all working out, then the Cas9 will make a cut, okay? So the way it works is kind of both of them have uh, sort of a job in finding the right spots. And both of them having that job means that you have this kind of extra layer of security because when you start making cuts to DNA, that can cause all kinds of problems, especially if you make cuts in spots you weren't planning to. So basically, what do these cuts kind of do? The, the kind of cut that a Cas9 makes is a double strand break. And so DNA looks kind of like a ladder. It has these two strands and they're kind of twined around each other, right, in this helix. A double-strand break means you're cutting through both of those strands of DNA. That sounds pretty catastrophic for a cell. Cells do not like double-strand breaks. They really flip out when they see it. And so the kind of natural consequence of a double-strand break is for a cell to do something called uh, non-homologous end joining. Okay. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. Okay, I got you, Nathan. It's Making an audio. It's an audio media. So no one knows what I did. <laughs> that was a good fist. Uh, NHEJ, and what that means is the cell will see two floating pieces of DNA now because they just got cut apart from each other. What? It just sticks them together. Basically, it'll just take some glue nucleotide. It'll just slap on some random sequences, stick them back together, and be like, "I hope that worked out." Okay. That is the way that we use CRISPR-Cas9 to break a gene. Because what happens is you just target it to somewhere in the gene that was important, where the sequence actually mattered. It'll do the cut, and then when your cell glues it back together, it doesn't give a fuck, and it'll put a whole bunch of letters in there that will definitely ruin that gene. Couldn't that, like, accidentally backfire and you create Nightcrawler or something? Sure, so you're talking about, like, making some kind of mutation that can, like... Make you teleport or something. Yeah, yeah or, or other things. Or like give you cancer or something like that. Um, so most of the time, most of this sort of gluing together and the mutation that happens because of that, most mutations just break stuff instead right. of giving it new function. But in a small percentage of cases. There's a potential. Right. There's a potential. Don't you feel like if something has small enough of a chance of happening and it still happens to you then God wants you to suffer? Like Job? Yeah. Well, in this case, we're talking about, like, some cells we're trying to modify, right? So if it doesn't work out, you just, like, throw it out and start over. So long as it's in a dish. Yeah. Once okay. you're injecting it into, you know, your body, then it's a little bit harder to throw away those cells. So, yeah, that, you know, most of the gene editing that happens happens what's called ex vivo, and so that means that you've taken the cells outside of the body context and you can do selection. So you can find cells where the modifications happened, but it wasn't disastrous. But in general, NHEJ is a really good job of breaking a gene and you need to pick a gene that you wanted to really break. Mm -hmm. So you probably shouldn't pick a gene that was protecting you from cancer 
Because that would be a really good way to get cancer. But a gene that was hurting you in some way, like a gene that was causing a protein to build up in your body and making a problem for you, breaking that gene up would be like a very simple, easy way to like stop that protein from building up in the first place. Right. And so in, in conditions where that is the problem, the buildup or excess production of some kind of protein... Just breaking it is pretty straightforward and a really good use of CRISPR-Cas9. But a lot of times what we want to try to do is we want to introduce some kind of new gene. Yeah. Or we want to introduce a fixed gene. Like someone will be sick because they have a broken gene. And what we want to do is fix it. Right. We don't want to break it more. Right. This kid already has turners. We, we want to fix it in a really specific way. Like sickle cell. Right. Like sickle cell. Uh, although sickle cell we'll get to a little bit later, is an example of where you can potentially break something and cure it. But oh, okay. I'll, I'll get to that soon. The most straightforward way to fix sickle cell, which is usually a single point mutation that breaks it, would be to reverse that mutation. But that's harder to do with CRISPR. Sean, don't blow your load. We're going to talk about this later. I know, well, 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 I'm, I'm using that to segue, you son of a bitch. <laughs> I'm segueing into the fact that when you want to put in a functional thing, when you want to fix something, it's harder and you have to use a different process most of the time. NHEJ won't work because that's sort of like a panicking cell gluing stuff together. You need it to put in a functional thing. Okay. And to do that, you can do something called uh, homology directed repair. What that means is CRISPR-Cas9 still does what it does. It still fucking cuts the DNA, right? But cells will sometimes, before they panic and glue it together, they'll take a look around to see if there's a still working copy of what just got broken. So they'll take a look around, and if there is a working copy, they'll kind of swap that into the broken spot. So they'll use that and glue that in. That process can be used here by basically... When you introduce the CRISPR-Cas9, you also give a working copy of the gene that's hopefully floating around nearby so that the cell can grab that and glue it in. So you have to deliver two things. You have to deliver the CRISPR-Cas9 and the functional gene. And uh, that's a lot harder to do. Cells don't do it as much. Whereas NHEJ, that efficiency is, you know, it happens like 60% of the time. Homology-directed repair... HDR happens usually more like, uh, I don't know, a couple percent of the time, maybe up to like the teens. So if you were trying to add something in, you would want to have it in abundance within the cell before you directed the Cas9 to break the DNA. If you have the option, then that's a good way to do it. There's also some newer processes. So this kind of this dichotomy that I'm saying about NHEJ for breaking stuff and HDR for fixing stuff is now maybe like three or four years old. It's not like the hottest shit anymore. While I was reading, there's like a couple of new things. There's MMEJ and HMEJ, and there are these new techniques to try to make it more likely for you to kind of hot swap a good copy in. And some of those have a little bit higher efficiency. So you, you do this process, and then it, it doesn't work. How do you make sure it does work eventually? Right, so if you're doing this in a plate of cells... You got a bunch of cells, you're trying it out. Even if it only happens 1% of the time, if you do it on a million cells, you're going to have a few where it worked. Sure. Right? And so maybe that's okay. And then they'll just mitosis their way to that being fine? Right. So it, it works best if you have some kind of way of telling if it worked, right? Yeah, but what if you're just in the back of the muckle microbrew and you're just pumping some Crispus Cas9? Right. 
And that's the situation where maybe HMEJ, one of these newer techniques that maybe has an efficiency in like the 30 to 40% range. In that case, if you're, if you're pumping in enough of it, then like, Hey, maybe 40% of your cells get modified. That might be enough for you to see an effect. Hmm. And it might be enough to cure something too. Like when you're curing something, you might not need all the cells in your body to get fixed. Maybe you just need half the cells in your liver to get fixed. Right. But in any case, there's these different techniques now for trying to either break the gene or maybe even fix a gene, right? But that's all with Cas9, and there's actually, since the discovery of Cas9, we've discovered a lot more in the CRISPR family, and we've engineered stuff in too. So I think, you know, let's take a break, and then we can talk a little bit about those variants and then some of the limitations to using CRISPR-Cas9 in vivo. Hey guys, this is Donatella Iglesias. And studies show that 93% of our listeners are filled with constant existential dread. Every news item makes them quiver in their blankets, afraid that the world is going to end, there's no hope whatsoever, and God damn it, they just need someone to hold. The dating apps, they're not good enough. I don't want to date. I'm going to die. We're all going to die someday. You need someone to hold. You need someone now. Well, luckily, there's a new app for us. It's called Settle. Download it. And swipe left, swipe right, it doesn't matter. It matches you with a person no matter what. So you can get rid of all the nonsense rituals of dating and finally just find a person to just be with as we all wait for our eminent demise. Be happy. Download Settle and Settle today. Okay, guys, so we're back. When we left off, Sean was saying that everything he told us was a lie. There's not just Cas9, there's like all these other types of Cas9, there's Cas8, there's Cas11, there's like all these different Cases. <laughs> okay, Sean, tell me, what the fuck are you talking about? What are these Cas9 variants? Okay, so even with Cas9, and you're right, there is an entire Cas family with a bunch of other numbers, but even within Cas9, people have mutated that protein to kind of affect its function. So one of the things that they've done is they've turned it from an endonuclease, so somebody that cuts all the way through the DNA, into what's called a nickase, or it nicks the DNA. And so what that means is, you know, DNA is double-stranded, it'll just cut through one of the strands, okay? And the reason why you could do that is to set it up so that you need two different Cas9s to cut at the same site to break the DNA there. So that you basically add in an extra layer of security. Because... Cas9 on its own, it might cut somewhere else in the genome, right? Like, it's hard to guarantee that there won't be some other place where Yeah, there it could be some unintended consequences, right. right? If you don't realize that sequence is somewhere else down a gene, you might cut it in more than one place. Right. So a lot of the bioinformatics we do, a lot of the, you know, web tools try to find a unique spot. But a lot of times with the guide RNA, maybe one of the letters can be off and you'll still get a cut somewhere, okay? And so if you're not paying super close attention... Regular Cas9 might cut all the way through the DNA in some spot you didn't want and break some other gene that maybe you really need, right? And that, that would be a really big problem if we we're using this in vivo. People want to reduce what's called the off-target effects, okay? And so to do that, they create these nickases. And what the nickases do is they will cut just one strand of the DNA. And then another Cas9 has to come along and cut the other strand at pretty much the same spot. And so what that means is even if you had off-target effects from each one of these two Cas9s, it's okay because they're probably off-target in some random other locations. You don't cut all the way through the DNA. Um, And so 
That's one of these changes that they've been doing in order to make it more likely to use in vivo. But they've basically taken the Cas9 protein and done a bunch of other mutations to it. They've done stuff where they basically glued other proteins on that have totally different functions. So something that we've kind of mentioned before on the show a little bit, but didn't go into super big detail, is something called epigenetics. And so epigenetics is you can kind of change how much a gene is read. Yeah, based on like environmental like uh, effects. Right. right. You, so you can do things like pack a DNA up really tightly so that the genes in that spot don't get read. Um, and it can kind of dynamically change. Okay. And with this kind of mutated CRISPR-Cas9, you can do epigenetic changes and not cut the DNA at all. So your DNA will stay totally the same, but now maybe a gene that normally is on all the time will get turned off because you've compressed the DNA in that spot. And so that's a way, it's not a permanent change anymore, it's just a temporary change. But that can still make a difference uh, with some kind of cell in your body. Right? I and mean, what would that even be good for? Yeah, so maybe what you want to do is you want to turn a cell into a different kind of cell. And the way that cells kind of identify what type of cell they are is through pathways of different proteins interacting with each other. We need more myoblastas for yeah. when I'm working out. Sure, yeah. And so if you just temporarily stop certain genes, you might be able to turn some of the cells that were there back into stem cells, for example, temporarily, and then turn them into some other kind of cell, temporarily. Or, you know, maybe the second time it's more permanent. And so that way uh, you can kind of make these transient changes to turn cells into other kinds of cells. So we don't need to suck out fetal bovine serums anymore. We can just turn our own cells into other cells through magic. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, I mean, that's right, though, right? Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that works pretty well. Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, that's cool, man. I'm bummed that I taught you about fetal bovine serum, but uh, yeah, I guess it's all good. Sign up for Patreon. Get a free FBS. No, we can't do that. <laughs> and then another thing is that CRISPR-Cas9 makes these big cuts in the DNA, right? And then there's this repair process. But a lot of mutations, a lot of mutations that cause disease are mutations in a single letter in our DNA, okay? And instead of making a gigantic cut and just totally breaking that gene, or instead of making a cut and trying to do HDR and having a low percent chance, what if we could just change that letter back, right? And so in this case, we're using the guidance system built into CRISPR-Cas9 to guide another protein. And that protein's job is to just turn that single, what's called a base pair, turn that letter into a different letter. So like it's a single letter change that affects sickle cell, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. So why haven't we cured sickle cell if it's this easy? So it's, I mean, I mean it, Africans are poor, right? Like, <laughs> it's kind of what it comes down to, isn't it? Oh my God. Uh, so <laughs> Am I wrong? We're, we'll talk. There, there are people with sickle cell in Europe and the US too. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk in more detail in the next episode, but to, you know, kind of jump to it really temporarily, there are actually currently clinical trials to do this, to use CRISPR to turn sickle cell around. The reason why... And when we get to it, you'll find out this single base pair change CRISPR, this kind of modified CRISPR, is not what we're using right now. Because right now, it's too promiscuous. It'll do it in many spots in the DNA. And it's not, it's not specific enough yet. So they're, they're working to figure out a way to make it more specific. 
So there's other kinds of CRISPR-Cas9 where they've glued other proteins onto the Cas9. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of cool names like Evil Cas9 and Hip Cas9 and Sniper Cas9. Right, so these guys are cool because they're basically the products of directed evolution. And so what that means is that they'll take CRISPR-Cas9, they'll randomly introduce mutations to it. Okay, so they'll randomly mutate CRISPR-Cas9 in like 10,000 different ways. And then they'll take that and they'll put it into bacteria. And then they'll see in what bacteria does it function properly. Does it successfully cut a gene in the bacteria? In this case, for the sniper Cas9, what they did was they took a bacteria and they gave the bacteria a gene that will kill the bacteria eventually. It's like a time bomb. And then they put in the Cas9 with a target for that gene. So if the Cas9 does its job, it won't die. The cell won't die. Dude, Scout's knives 1.6. <laughs> what? Yeah, CS. God damn it. Counter-Strike? <laughs> no, no one. No one does that anymore. It's all Fortnite. You need to layer Easter eggs <laughs> in sometimes, okay, to create a mythos. <laughs> to be more up-to-date. <laughs> okay, so we have all these, like, fucking awesome ways to gene-edit stuff. Yep. Like, why aren't we just gene-editing, like, babies, like, tomorrow? Like, what, are there any limitations to this? Well, there are ethical limitations. We don't care about ethics here, Sean. <laughs> You're an amoral Nietzschean monster. Okay, okay. Uh, all right, so I'm, I'm going to take your question as a segue into the limitations of CRISPR-Cas9, <laughs> not as an introduction to what we're going to talk about next episode, which is all the ways that we are already trying to do shit like that. You interpreted so, me right. Yeah. What okay. are the limitations? The limitations. The main limitation to using this in our bodies is the delivery process, okay? We're already pretty good at doing CRISPR-Cas9 to cells in a dish, and there's ways to modify cells in a dish that will still help cure people of disease. So that, that's a lot of the most promising things that are moving into clinical trials now. But an eventual goal would be, you know, people want to shoot themselves up with some CRISPR-Cas9. They want to see what happens, right? And the main thing is, how do you get the CRISPR-Cas9 into your cells? Because you can take, you can take the DNA that encodes CRISPR-Cas9, or CRISPR-Cas9 is RNA plus a protein, right? So it's, it's called a riboprotein. You can take the riboprotein and inject into your system... But it'll just get taken up in your liver and won't do anything. Like is they, that what ribotussin is? <laughs> Robitussin? <laughs> yeah, just no. like a lot of ribo ribosomes? <laughs> not, not even close. <laughs> With cherry flavoring? No, tussin is a, is a miracle cure. <laughs> you just rub it on anything. Um, no, okay. So, so currently, one of the main ways that we deliver CRISPR-Cas9 in vivo is using viruses. So what are called adeno-associated viruses, which is a family of viruses that... It's kind of similar a little bit to like retroviruses, except retroviruses have membranes. So they're a kind of virus that commonly injects genetic material into cells. And so if we put the genetic material for CRISPR, we can get that injected into cells. Like that's just what viruses like do, right? Like they biologically aren't technically alive. Right? In order for them to propagate their own DNA, they have to inject it into a living biological organism that can then propagate it as it intended. Right. And so there's a lot of different kinds of viruses out there. And some viruses are just specific to bacteria. Some viruses can infect mammalian cells. Some viruses inject RNA. And that's not really useful for the CRISPR-Cas9 system. We basically need to have it inject uh, DNA. So there's only certain classes of viruses that we can use. Mm -hmm. And then out of those viruses, one of the constraints is size. Virus genomes that they use naturally are not usually that big. If we want to do stuff like HDR 
and kind of get a gene into your system, right? Into your genome, we want to introduce a new one or a fixed one. You have to have not just the code for CRISPR-Cas9, you need to have the code for the correct functioning gene. And that's a lot of DNA to shove into a little tiny virus. And so that's one of the limitations in using these viruses is these AAVs, the adeno-associated viruses are not that big. And so there's a size limit that people commonly run up to and run up against that they can't go any further with CRISPR-Cas9. I mean, this is good, right? What's good? Well, we don't want people injecting random stupid shit into their bodies, right? Like, it's good that there's an institutional intrinsic limit to this technology because otherwise you'd have jack... I mean, you already have jackasses injecting themselves with stupid crap. <laughs> Why would you want more of that? It's better if it's limited by a lab. Well, right now, that limitation, the size limitation hinders also just like the lab side elements to like curing some diseases, mainly on the HDR side. But aren't diseases good for humans because they teach us basic mortality and <laughs> suffering and thus humility under God? Well, some people would like to cure diseases. <laughs> and for those people, for those people trying to cure diseases, um, it would be nice if we had a delivery system where we could fit in all the DNA we wanted. But isn't it demonstrably true that civilization was better before we we figured out germ theory. What the fuck is going on with you? It's just nonstop. It's just nonstop with your dick and balls. <laughs> Make a more valuable contribution. I think Pastor really destroyed our our theology. Dumb. <laughs> if only we could go back to the days where we still shat in our drinking water. Huh? <laughs> yeah. That taught you a thing or two about life. It built character. Okay, kids? So there's other kinds of viruses. We could theoretically use lentiviruses or retroviruses. The only thing is that these AAVs, these adeno-associated viruses, they do a really good job. They have a very high transfection rate. So they get into a lot of your cells. They can do dividing cells and not dividing cells, which is something retroviruses can't do. Retroviruses only hit dividing cells. And in your body, most of your cells are not dividing. So retroviruses miss most of the cells in your body. And, you know, so there's these limitations people are going to try to work out. One of the reasons why we might want more space is to be able to do CRISPR on more than one gene at once. Because, you know, like something like height or something like that. Controlled by different genes. Right. It's, it's called a polygenic trait, which means that there's probably about 700 locations in your genome that are associated with how tall you are. That's a lot of spots to CRISPR if we want to make people super tall. Hey, how much is height genetic? Because, like, there's, like, people, like, in Guatemala who are, like, two foot nothing. But then there's, like, Koreans who used to be tiny, like, during two different wars and refugee crises. And then, like, all of a sudden, everyone got a lot of kimchi and milk in Korea as it got richer. And now they're, like, the fastest growing people in terms of height. Well, that's where, like, epigenetics goes in, too, right? Like, in the sense that, like, nutrition, your height... Maybe it will be defined somewhat by your genes, but nutrition will also either express or inhibit the express like those genes from providing that height in the first place. Yeah, so there's both there's genetics, epigenetics, and then the kind of more straightforward effect of nutrition. And I would say that the non-genetic parts are the kind of thing that can take you from like five foot to six foot. But then six foot to ten foot yeah. is some weird magical thing. Them some genes, baby. And mm. so far, so far, the, the highest amount that anyone's done in the lab is 25 genes at once. Which is still a lot. But it's not the 700 that controls for height. Right. And, you know, who knows how many will actually 
you know, which ones are the main ones or whatever, but we want to be able to do as much as possible. We'd like our tools to give us the space to do whatever we need to do in vivo. And so that's one of the reasons why there's some labs that are trying to develop delivery vehicles that are maybe inspired by viruses, but are actually sort of artificial nanoparticles and be able to package the CRISPR-Cas9 into these nanoparticles and get those inside of cells. Yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, it's just, it's interesting, right? Because I see the value of all this technology, but once it gets better and better and easier and easier to do, then isn't it, and this kind of gets into our next episode and this gets into lots of Andre things about, but like, isn't, doesn't it get easier and easier to do like nefarious things with this technology? That's my fear. <laughs> yeah. Well. Like, like right now it's kind of very comfortably hemmed in by certain limitations so that all we can do is like, I don't know, some sickle cell shit, which seems like really valuable. But once it gets easy and democratic and cheap, then like what stops fucking Wahhabi Al-Qaeda going around from like turning all the all the cows into pig so then 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 like <laughs> Israel can't eat anything. Whoa. <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm being flippant, but you see my point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I think we'll get to dig into this topic a lot in part two. Because, um, you know, we'll talk about some of the things that we've already done. And then with that in mind, that'll help us be like, oh, shit. At the very least, it's going to get easier. It's going to get easier and easier for other people to be able to do these kinds of modifications. So uh, does that bring us to the end of this particular episode? Yeah, I think that's the end of part one. Okay, guys, thank you so much for joining. Uh, you're going to hear more of Andre, Sean, and me uh, in part two of this series. When we talk about all the crazy applications of CRISPRs and all the broader geopolitical theological implications of CRISPRs. <laughs> yeah, okay, so uh, you should follow us on Twitter, at uh, Dish Podcast, and you should email us if you had any comments about this CRISPR episode or our recent series on climate change at PetriDishPod at gmail.com. Uh, you can sign up for our Patreon, patreon.com slash PetriDish. And we, then thank yous. We gotta thank Stacy Song, our Time Lord. Sound Lord. I keep doing that. Yeah. Our Sound Lord. God damn. I don't know if you know this, but Sound Lord is a reference to the Time Lord. Sure, okay. <laughs> That's why I get mixed up. So we gotta thank Stacy Song, our Sound Lord. Brian Allen, our father slash art man. Yeah, let's let's thank Andre for being around. Thank you, Andre. You are very welcome. Yay. You're about to get a lot more of that Andre mouth pretty quick, guys. Yeah, so tune in next week for for the second. A lot of Andre mouthing off. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and thank you guys for listening.